You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 282nd edition of Assembly Call Radio and it is our 927th episode overall of the Assembly Call recorded on the evening of March 15th, 2023. One day early so we don't conflict with Thursday's NCAA tournament games that everyone wants to watch. I'm your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes a shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment happened on Sunday when the Indiana Hoosiers were announced as a four seed in the Midwest region of the NCAA tournament. It has been far too long for Hoosier fans since having a sweat-free selection Sunday. Look to the upper right portion of your uh, company bracket and you'll find your Indiana Hoosiers listed playing against the 13 seed Kent State Flashes. The Hoosiers are poised to make a good run in this tournament as they have two special players in Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafino, the kind of players that it takes to win in the NCAA tournament. The supporting cast is also capable of playing solid basketball. Indiana is the favorite. Do not lose sight of that despite the narratives that are going around. Kent State is good, and they can beat the Hoosiers, but this is what the tournament is all about. But go into Friday confident and sure that Indiana's played well enough to be considered a top team in the NCAA by earning a protected seed and wearing those white jerseys. Let's get it done, Hoosiers. Okay, now it's time uh, for me to introduce my co-host for the week. Uh, To the uh, left, he's the Rob Senderoff of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He makes phone calls to schedule and recruit players when he's not supposed to, and he's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club and one of the world's most respective and fun-loving bracketologists. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, if you want the top, you got to go bottoms. If you want the top, you got to go bottoms. It's the one and only Andy Bottoms. Andy, what's uh, your bottom line here this last week on Indiana basketball? Uh, I mean, like you said, it was exciting to see IU be so safely in the tournament, not be sweating it out, not have a bunch of people asking, are they in, are they out, as you and I have uh, grown accustomed to, I believe, feel like in recent years. Uh, so that was uh, that was a relief for sure. I thought they got the, dece- the seed that they – uh, were expected to get and the seed they probably deserved in the long run and, and got a tough matchup out of it as everybody's been uh, really digging into that over the course of weeks. So I know we'll talk more about that, but uh, always excited for IU to be in the tournament and and no better time than the first couple of days, the NCAA tournament uh, by any stretch for, for me. I, conference tournaments are great. There's still just something about the, the nostalgia of the NCAA tournament. So really looking forward to that getting started. Uh, tomorrow in earnest, even though we've had these uh, these games the last couple nights, and uh, until until the uh, first one tonight, they've at least all been close. So maybe that's a good sign for the tournament uh, 
the the last the most recent game notwithstanding. And to my right, he is the head of sports of the sports media department at Indiana, and he is one of the godfathers of IU sports podcasting, having hosted Crimson Cast since the days of Branch McCracken. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Galen Clavio. Doctor, what are your thoughts on tournament week? I'm just delighted that we're here. Finally, a long, cold winter, and then we get essentially a month of basketball. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's terrible. Like last night's Pitt-Mississippi State game, that was pretty atrocious. But I still loved it, watched the whole thing. I'm just excited, A, that we're back uh, to watching basketball in this format, and B, that Indiana's in it. That that they're they're a good team. They're a top fifteen team within the field. Uh, that makes it all the more exciting. And it's great to be back with you guys talking about it all. Well, we're excited about uh, what's going to happen this weekend. We're excited to talk about it here for the next hour or so, and we'll give you a lot of information. What's uh, in store this week? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about bracketology lessons and some bracket predictions uh, of all of us. Segment two, we're going to dive into some more IU Kent State. Uh, scouting report keys to victory and and our predictions and then segment three we have a boatload of really outstanding questions both from twitter and from our community all of that coming up this week on assembly call radio and now let's talk about our presenting sponsor This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more. Bottom line is that Homefield has something for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. What could be better than that? And they have the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, but the mystery boxes. I signed up uh, for the mystery box. First shipment is on the way. A couple more T-shirts to my massive collection. Uh, looking forward to that. Love the bomber jackets that are been coming out. The long sleeve T-shirts. I'm a long sleeve T-shirt guy. I've been wanting long sleeve home field for a long time. So there's a lot of products for your favorite team uh, and for any team. So go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME for 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, uh, gentlemen, it's uh, time. We spent a lot of time trying to predict the actual bracket, uh, and that came out on Sunday. And what are your initial thoughts? We'll start with you, Galen, on – how did the NCAA committee do, in your opinion, overall in seeding the 68 teams? I thought they did fine. I didn't think there was anything outlandish in what they did. There were certainly some quibbles that I had about individual teams. I think that that happens every year. But, uh, you know, I, I think Andy will probably back me up on this. Like, we've had years where like, I remember when your Air Force got in, and it's like, what on earth is Air Force doing in the field? They were like 78th in, in the RPI. It made zero sense whatsoever. There really wasn't anything like that this year. And, uh, you know, I mean, there was certainly an argument for leaving Rutgers out. There was an argument for leaving Clemson out. Looks like both of those teams are going to lose in the first round of the NIT as, as Moorhead State's about to take Clemson down uh, as we speak. So I thought they did well. Uh, you know, the it's interesting because – 
maybe their biggest mistake in terms of their own criteria was not ranking Kansas at least as the number two overall seed, but that might actually help IU. So who am I to complain about that? Uh, but no, overall, uh, there's plenty of years I've had to complain about what the committee's done. This wasn't one of them. You know, I, the more I do this, the more I understand what they go through in trying to field uh, the 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 bracket and, and the the entire field of setting at one through sixty eight. And after I have a few disagreements, I go back and say, okay, I, I kind of understand what they they might have done there, even if I would have gone a different direction. Andy, your thoughts on how well the committee did this year in in placing teams in the bracket? Yeah, I think in general, it's it's one of those where it it underscores the challenge of doing it because you're trying to predict the behavior of other people. And a lot of times, I get into well, these teams are pretty close and. You know, my default position is, well, at least if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong doing what I would do. Um, and so, you know, like Maryland and West Virginia, I had them flip flop. To me, Maryland couldn't prove they could win a game away from home. West Virginia had a bunch of losses. Uh, the metrics were better. Committee didn't see it that way. That's one thing. You know, Illinois over Penn State was one where they beat them three times. Illinois had two good wins in the non-conference and then did very little in the Big Ten. I, I can live with being wrong. Uh, because I think at least I had sound logic on it. The, o- the only team that I really struggled with was Florida Atlantic. Um, I-, I think it's if you want to penalize Texas A and M, and they were you know those are the two teams I missed by two C lines. If you want to penalize Texas A and M for playing a poor non conference strength of schedule, particularly after Buzz Williams and his diatribe last year after getting left out, okay, fine. Uh, but for Florida Atlantic, you know they're thirty one and three overall, only twenty nine and three against Division One. You know, one at Florida beat, you know, one one Conference USA easily, had some quad one and two wins, didn't have any bad losses. A, a team that was on the rise coming into the season, so really struggled to find people that would play them. I, I just struggled to hold them to that standard of, well, you could have, you know, you didn't show us enough, you didn't beat enough high-quality teams when they really didn't get those opportunities, but were pretty dominant uh, in what they did do. And, and I thought – it, one to put them as a nine seed was uh, was poor. I could see an eight, and then to match them up with arguably the best eight seed in Memphis uh, is you know kind of another challenge as you as you match those up. That that was really probably the only one that I really struggled to see the logic behind. I know they kind of asked Chris Reynolds about it, uh, and I think like most of the answers he gave, he was pretty uh, you know pretty uh, pretty terse. I guess I would say not. Not in a in a rude way, but just did not get into a ton of detail. It was the same way on the 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 committee reveal of the top sixteen, and and you watch that stuff. Where you're trying to like take away something more from what they did, and he just wasn't giving it to you. And, and so you know didn't really get into a ton of detail about why Florida Atlantic was uh, ended up where they were. But you know overall, it's a tough job. I think we probably understand that as well as anybody in terms of the challenges that come from figuring out where to put teams. And I guess if at the end of the day you only have a legitimate gripe about uh, one of them, uh, or a major gripe about one of them, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah, the Texas A&M was that first seven, and that gave us fits all, all bracketing the last three, four weeks, whether it was Creighton. We ended up with Creighton there, uh, Texas A&M at the six. We had Kentucky there for a while, uh, and that there was a bunch of teams in that five, six range, and there was one left over. Uh, which was the team going to be left over? The committee picks Texas A&M, and, and obviously we, we went a little different direction. But overall, a good thing. Uh, Andy, back to you real quick, and then Galen, four seed for Indiana. Um, what does that say about the Indiana team? They, they went through some injuries this year, uh, had some up-and-down play, but ultimately the 15th best-seeded team 
in the bracket. Your thoughts on the placement of the Indiana Hoosiers? I thought it was pretty much spot on. I, I'm trying to remember now whether I had them as 14th overall or 15th, but they were right in that range where felt like, not that you couldn't see it at all, but seemed hard to to envision them being bumped to a five seed uh, based on what they had done. And I, I think overall, one thing for people to keep in mind is you look at some of the the losses and even you know the number of losses uh, with, with IU having 11, there were just not a lot of teams that didn't lose many games this year. And when you look at it that way, there are so many teams in that 10, 11, 12 loss range that normally you would think, man, that seems kind of high uh, for them to get a seed that way. But I think when you step back and look at it and, and understand the Big Ten schedule that IU played, how they performed against that schedule, and the fact that they did it without a guy who at the beginning of the year was projected to be their second most important player, uh, I think Jalen Huchifino has been uh, everything people hoped he would be, but I still think everybody thought, Hey, Xavier Johnson is going to be, you know, behind TJD and, uh, and their ability to adapt and, and, and do that without him has been really impressive. And if you think back to some of the things that we said, we, you wanted at the beginning of the season, sure. You'd love to win the big 10, but we talked about top four finish. They tied for second, um, you know, wanting to be, uh, safely in the NCAA tournament. They did that. Um, so I think all things considered, something to be proud of in that, in that four seed range. And uh, while they earned a tough matchup, it, even in that four seed range, I think that's true of a lot of the four and five seeds because most of the teams that finished at the top of the best mid-major leagues ended up winning. And even if it wasn't the first place team that won, it was typically the second place team. And so there's a lot of teams that are going to face challenges in that area of the bracket. And I think not surprising that people are picking some upsets there, which they would normally do. And it's a little bit easier, I think, to project some of those this year as you look at the quality of the 12 and 13 seeds overall. Galen, Indiana's a four seed. What what does that tell us? Tells us they were one of the top 16 teams in the country uh, when you take everything into account. The, the resume, what they accomplished. You know, And this is something that I think when you ask some IU fans on social media, you'd think IU was one of the worst teams in the country. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's wild to think about because – Ultimately, when you look at what IU accomplished, who they beat, where they beat them, their successes on the road, the strength of schedule that they had, it was one of the toughest schedules in the country, top to bottom. Uh, this was a team that, over the course of a season, proved themselves to be you know, in that range where they should have been a four seed. I mean, I had them right at 15th. I don't get a gold medal for that or anything, but but it was hard, heartening to see that kind of I was in line with the committee as far as where I thought they were. Um, and look, I mean – it's tough. It's always tough to judge these things. And I think uh, you can look outside and, and say, well, that team's playing better or that team's got a better individual, uh, you know, player, a set of players that are doing things. But I thought Indiana overall throughout the season did exactly what they needed to do to put themselves in that spot. And the fact they did it, as Andy said, you know, without Xavier Johnson and the fact that they did it without race Thompson for a while and coming back from one and four, to start the conference to put themselves in that position, I think says a lot about how successful this season was relative to the rest of college basketball. Yeah, we had them as 15 as well. Uh, and, and one of the things that's interesting is everyone talks about the quad numbers and that the, they're great, but you also got to look inside the quad numbers. And one of the things that benefited Indiana's resume is that a lot of teams that they had quad two wins were quad one when they played them. And then they moved to quad two and even though the numbers are in different spots, uh, the committee knows that when you beat 33 net, 34 net, and 36 net or 37 Illinois, whatever they ended up, 
those three wins are some of the best wins you can get in in quad two. I think that was an kind of an unwritten or, or undisclosed thing if you just look at the raw numbers of of the quad and offset some of those some of those losses. So that that was eye opening for for me. So the Big Ten. Um, Who's advancing in the Big Ten? And it's always the narrative that the Big Ten gets teams in and then doesn't advance to the Sweet 16. But we only have, what, three teams that are going to be wearing the, the white jerseys? Or wait, four, Michigan State and an eight seed. Do we have an eight seed? Uh, Iowa. I don't have the bracket. Mar- Maryland's Iowa. an eight and, and Iowa. So Okay, so we have several wearing the white jerseys. Are we going to get more than one or two uh, in the – into the Sweet 16 and stop the national narrative that the Big Ten just loads up and, and gets wins and then d- doesn't perform in the tournament? Or And is that a false narrative? Uh, you know, it's hard to win in the tournament. Uh, you're talking about good quality teams, and, and I, I don't like that, uh, that, you know, if you don't get a certain number of teams, 16 teams are left, um, and it's matchups and it's other things like that. But how many teams in the Big Ten, and what, what do you think the Big Ten paths are like? Uh, Galen, we'll come to you first. I'm terrible at picking who's actually going to advance. I will say, I don't think the narrative is false. I, I don't think the narrative is false. And I think okay. a lot of it is because the Big Ten is not offensively gifted enough in the tournament in the right ways historically. And by like the last 10 years or so, the teams that have broken through have been teams like Michigan under John Beeline, who ran a system that didn't always necessarily produce Big Ten champions, but did produce teams that played really well in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, as, as I look through the bracket, I, I, I think right now there's two teams I feel pretty good about making the Sweet 16. One of them is Indiana, and that's not just me being a homer, I, I don't think. Uh, it's because I like the matchups. I think they drew the weakest of the five seeds. I think that the, the, the 13 and the 12 in their sub-regional are both beatable. Um, and, and I think Indiana does a bunch of things well enough, and they have two-star players. That, those are important uh, elements. And I like Michigan State's path. Uh, because I think Michigan State, first of all, I don't think USC is very good. I think the whole Pac-12 outside of UCLA is kind of trash. We'll find out if I'm right or not uh, pretty quickly, I think, with that, as uh, we've already got one team playing right now, uh, as Arizona State's up against the fight in Steve Alford's. Uh, but I also, I think Marquette is extremely overvalued right now. They're playing really well, but they have a roster comprised entirely of freshmen and sophomores. And that is a combustible mix, shall we say, when you get into the, the high pressure of the tournament. Plus, a little trivia question for you guys. Uh, everybody knows Shaka Smart. When was the last time Shaka Smart made it past the second round of the NCAA tournament? You want to take a crack at that? It was a VCU. It's probably when he was still at VCU. Would be my yeah, it, was the, it, was the, uh, it was the Final Four team at VCU. Uh, it has been forever since Shaka Smart made it past the second round of the tournament. We're talking 2011. So, you know, this is a guy who's kind of ridden on that since that. Now, you know, he's had, you know, was at VCU for a while. Texas didn't quite work out. I'm, I think he's a good coach. But uh, that's a team that I think is ripe for an upset. And I think Michigan State is playing some pretty good ball, Big Ten tournament notwithstanding. The other team I would keep an eye on, and I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I actually think Illinois has got a good shot to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, I think whoever wins that game between Illinois and Arkansas, Kansas, like, you know, they won the national title last year. It was kind of out of nowhere. And I could absolutely see them running into a bad matchup with either 
of those two teams. I think Arkansas might be the bigger threat, but if Illinois gets by, I don't think that they're going to like back down from Kansas. So those are the three I feel good about. Everybody else I'm kind of iffy on. I think Northwestern's a poor value. Uh, I think Maryland has got a really terrible matchup against West Virginia, and Purdue is Purdue. That's right. So you you just talked about my national championship winner as a possible upset to Michigan State in the second round. And if you go back to the coach's corner in the community, I surprised everyone with Marquette getting getting that far. And and, and that'll tell you uh, honestly. I I don't know. I think I'm we're okay predicting what the bracket looks like, but I am never good at predicting the winners uh, afterwards for some reason. Everyone comes to you and like, oh, you're you're a bracketologist. You should know who's going to win the games. No, we spend so much time looking at the resumes that we probably need to spend some more time looking at, like you said, freshmen, uh, that I, I think they have guards, uh, the Marquette guards. Uh, the Tyler Kolick guy can really operate, and they have two prolific scorers on the wings, and it's a guards game. It goes back to what you said about winning in the tournament. You, you have to have some offense in the tournament, and it has to be efficient, and I do think that's been a problem with the, with the Big Ten. Uh, the, the pace, uh, that they don't play with the pace that wins in the NCAA tournament. I agree 100%. I think that speaks well for Indiana because they have two NBA players. If those two NBA players can get loose and whatever defensive schemes against them by other teams, they find a way to take advantage of it. you you got two special players. That's what wins in the NCAA. That's what I'm excited about. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to win without those special players having the ability – you know, we talk all the time about closers and who can go get you points. There's going to be a tough game. You need people to go get you some points. I, I think IU has two of them, so I think that bodes well. Um, I, I think Purdue will probably make the Sweet 16, but I don't think they'll go further than that. I think Memphis uh, or FAU could give them a, a run. Uh, I, I think Indiana has a really nice path uh, to get there. Other than that um, – Heck, I didn't even know we had eight seeds in the Big Ten after putting the bracket together and forgot about it since Monday. I've slept for like eight, 18 hours trying to get caught up. But I, I do think it would be nice for the Big Ten to get a few teams and, and stop that narrative, uh, even though I do I do see what you're saying, that they don't play well uh, once they get out of, out of tournament play. Andy, your thoughts on the Big Ten? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges is that, that everybody beat each other up. So nobody ends up getting a high seed. You've got a one, a four, and then everybody else is essentially between a seven and a ten. And and if you think about it, based on the, you know, pr predictions or just, you know, higher seeded teams, you would expect that all the two of them will be out by the Sweet 16. And yet, I think that'll be viewed as um, a disappointment. I You know, maybe somebody surprises. I don't really have too many Big Ten teams going very far uh in my bracket i think it's one of those where i i totally agree with what you said about not being as good at, at picking these as maybe we feel like we are predicting the field i think you almost know too much and you can talk yourself into or out of virtually anybody by the time you get it, it it's all said and done and then uh you're not totally sure who to look at I, I think um you know i've got iu in the sweet 16 i've got purdue in the sweet 16 i think those are the only two to be honest with you um and i do have a few of them winning their first round matchups but um, and, and I think that's the other thing about watching the Big Ten. I, you know, but for better or worse, we all watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, which uh, may be deserving of some kind of award uh, at the end of the season. But, um, you, you know, you see these teams are all flawed in one way or another. And I think it's easy to get in the tournament as you're making your own picks and saying, hey, look, this team, I've seen this team play like crap against insert other you know, mid-level Big Ten team here. And, and then you talk yourself out of them being able to win games. And and so maybe somebody gets hot. I think just because they lose those games doesn't mean that 
you know, it isn't a good league, but I do think they struggle with um, some of the high level talent where we talk, you know, a lot of times in the off season about where McDonald's all Americans going. It's not to the big 10. Yeah. We talk about the officiating where these guys are just beating the absolute hell out of each other uh, in some of these games. And then all of a sudden, if, if some of these games are, or, officiated like the first few games and the first four have been, I mean, get ready. Now that doesn't help IU a team who fouls a lot as it is, even by big 10 standards, um, if they call it that way. But I, I don't know that it prepares teams very well for that. And I do think there's validity to that piece of the argument. I don't think that means there aren't good basketball teams in the big 10. And I don't think that means we might not see somebody like a Michigan state, maybe spring that kind of upset. I think you could see that with an Illinois, but you've also got a lot of teams in that eight, nine, 10 range where it's like, are they really expected to beat somebody? Um, you know, I think Penn State has a tough matchup with the Texas A&M team probably feel like was, um, you know, underseeded at some point. And, and maybe Penn State could be, give somebody a good game. I, I think they can beat Texas A&M, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's not very many Big Ten teams left. I just don't know that that's necessarily a, a moratorium on the, on the league as a whole when it's all said and done. So do we root for the Big Ten, or, or, or do you have – angst against the the big 10 watching them uh, all year long and uh do we root for them galen I, it depends it's entirely situated i won't root for purdue i'm sorry yeah, i can't right. do it uh i'll i'll root for i i won't root for iowa under any circumstances no, me, uh me. and i might root for maryland just because they still don't feel like a real big 10 team to me uh and i generally root for the rest of them up to the point where i feel like um it maintains some kind of like reputational equilibrium. So like if Michigan state were to win another national title, I would feel a little threatened. So I'd probably only root for them to the final four, but it a lot, again, a lot of it depends. It's like, um, if I always think like if Purdue and Kentucky had played in the elite eight last year, who would I have rooted for? Uh, and I, I, or yeah. this way, I guess would have been the sweet 16, not the elite eight. I'm not sure still what the answer would have been on that. Thankfully I never had to figure that out. Andy, do you root for the big 10 or, or, you know, I've caught a lot of grief say, for rooting for other teams inside the Big Ten and buying home field apparel in the league. Um, so your thoughts? I, I would, by and large, I would say I will not. There might be a couple that I will, uh, uh, that, I, that I'll root for, but it's it's more probably the ones I picked in my bracket for the purposes of that than it is because I, uh, <laughs> of some other overarching feeling about the team. But uh, I, I definitely have not ventured into the territory of, uh, of buying home field apparel for another Big Ten school. There was there was a Minnesota shirt that I almost bought, and then I just couldn't do it. Uh, I my wife probably wishes I was more like you, Andy, and in, in not buying uh, some of that uh, gear. But all right, so everyone, well, it's not that I'm give, not buying anything. I'm just not right, buying that stuff. That stuff. Um, who are your favorites, and what are your traditions? Uh, Jared tweeted out that you know. Uh, the eve of the NCAA tournament is better than Christmas Eve, uh, and there's a lot of traditions around Christmas. What traditions do you guys have, if any, uh, in, in watching the tournament, and, and who do you think will be cutting down the net in, in a couple of weeks? Um, Andy, we'll start with you. Well, I, I don't even have an answer to your last question yet. I haven't finished my bracket yet. I've gotten close. I spent some time uh, today after work, but it's one of those where, like you said, some, sometimes I'd be better if I just sat down in five minutes and wrote teams in, but I haven't done that yet. So, uh, that, that part, I don't know, uh, in terms of traditions, I mean, for me, it's just typically finding somewhere to watch games and, and not working. Um, it was about 10 years ago, I think was one of the first times I had not 
taken the day off, but I had just started a new job like the week before. So I was like, well, this probably doesn't set a great precedent by, uh, by taking off immediately. Although I would find out, uh, that my, uh, my boss at the time was a huge college basketball fan and invited everybody to meet up somewhere, uh, you know, that like late afternoon. So I, I may, I mean, I may have worked for like the first set of, uh, not even the, the whole afternoon session of games, like the first set of tip offs. And then, uh, that was it. But, uh, so that was about the only time. So really it's just doing that getting together with friends, watching the games, um, staying up till they, uh, till they finish and getting up the next day and doing it all over again. Galen, do you have a favorite and, uh, and, and, and how do you watch the tournament? I put a bracket together the other day and was so appalled at who I ended up having win. Not because I was, I didn't like the teams, but because I was like, there's no way right. that these two teams are going to be in the championship. I don't even, I'm not even going to mention them here. Okay. Uh, it's just one of those where this is a tough one to, to call. Uh, there's a lot of, there, there's not really a couple of dominant teams. There, there's nobody I really feel that confident about. I think the the two or three favorites everybody keeps talking about, I just think have huge holes in their resume. And I think that the gap between the top and the bottom is a lot closer than it has been. So I am not going to make a final prediction until tomorrow morning, probably. And then I'm going to hate myself for like three days for finally deciding on that. But uh, that's, that's my tradition, filling out brackets that create self-loathing in myself coach. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing that tradition. No, uh, this has always been, you know, I was, I was spoiled and blessed at the same time as a kid. We moved into a house when I was 11 years old that had a big dish satellite. And when my dad finally figured out how to work it, because this was like the early 90s and these were things hard to figure out, we figured out right around March. And guess what? We could get every tournament game. We could, didn't have to just get the you know CBS feed with the live look in. So early on, I started watching every single game, at least a part of it. And I've continued that to this day. And that's included like 2003 when I was living in Iowa and having to watch that horrible early CBS stream where the video would cut out every 20 seconds. Some of you might remember that. Uh, but now I pull a bunch of TVs into one room. I sit there. I invite people over and I just watch for 12 hours and then I fall asleep and I wake up and I do it again the next day. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I don't travel. Uh, last year, I took the family to Disney World for spring break. And I remember watching the IU Wyoming game from like my, my hotel room uh, in Disney. And then I ended up watching the rest of the games on the beach. Uh, you know, well, instead of having fun and being on the beach, I'm at the beach bar, like watching games all day. So that's essentially what I do. I'm just a vegetable for four days. And then I started all over again for the next weekend. I, uh, I truly think people don't, don't understand in some cases, like to, to Galen's point, like taking you back to, okay, well, I really hope we get the game that I want to see. Right. And then if you did, when they would do the live look in and either your screen, the game you wanted to watch would go away entirely or was so small in the corner that you had to stand right up in front of the TV to get any <laughs> semblance of what was going on, or they would take it off and they would just have the score and something would happen, but you wouldn't know. Yeah. And then eventually they would go to the next game, the next game, the next game, and go do that. Yeah. It's, I mean, ridiculous that we ever had to live that way, but, uh, yeah. you know. I remember when DirecTV had the package where you could get the, yeah. the tournament, it, just the tournament games, and it was, like, right. the most amazing thing. And and that that was what I had experienced for, like, eight years prior to that. I was glad finally everybody else had that capacity. Uh, yeah, I had a TV go out yesterday. So there is one being shipped uh, as we speak, and we'll be here at some point tomorrow. So the fourth Man. TV is working. I would 
You need to get in the car, drive to Tippecanoe Mall, and like go buy one. I, I mean, they you, had you, none. I they had none. <laughs> well, I have to have a forty-inch TV to fit this place down here. And I looked online, and none were in stock. And I'm like, all right, I just ordered one. It just started freezing, and I said a few choice words. Not now, because not not this weekend. Can the fourth TV? I mean, how bad is that, right? But uh, I'll miss the first uh, set of games because I got to teach. Uh, I do have eighth period prep, and and uh, my principal is a basketball guy, so he said go home uh, as soon as uh, my my last class is over. But I'll miss a game or two. But it is uh, four TVs. I I told you, uh, and now I feel really bad about my pick, uh, uh, Marquette. But more so than that, I, I think the reasoning that you said that. I don't think the favorites are going to win this year. So I went and tried to pick. I had Marquette, UCLA, and I didn't really like it because there's flaws in both of those teams. You've mentioned the Marquette flaws. UCLA has a key injury to a defensive player. Uh, Houston has some questions about, about you know, their number one and all the metrics, and they're in Indiana's way. But it is going to be a year where I think there's going to be some surprise teams, uh, whether I say Marquette and, and someone else says somebody else. Arizona has a capability. Yep. There's just so, so many teams, right? My final was Arizona-Gonzaga, so you can understand yeah. why I was so freaked out. But I, yeah. I do think if last year taught us anything, it's that if there's – and I understand the Marquette pick. I, I was I actually considered them until I saw the, the youth, right. and that concerned yeah. me. But I think teams that know how to play offense, that's where college right. basketball is at right now, and that's what I'm looking for more than anything else when I'm picking brackets. So uh, maybe we helped you as you get your brackets done before noon tomorrow uh, and then pull up and get those uh, TVs ready. But, okay, uh, coming up here on the assembly call, we'll uh, zoom in on Indiana's matchup Friday night against Kent State. We know it'll be a challenge, but how big do we think that challenge is? We'll talk about keys to the victory. So stick here with us on the assembly call. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Man, there's been so many podcasts with uh, scouting reports. Um, I haven't had a chance. I've just caught a couple. Um, but we can go through. Um, Jared put some questions on there. I think that's some some pretty good things. And we can shorten that one, uh, this segment up a little bit and get to the questions because we have some, some really good questions. So, Yep. Well, cool. Nevada is not doing very much to make – make the to reassure people that they should have been invited yeah. to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, this this is this is not great. Now now admittedly, many of the teams who were passed over for that spot have done very little in the NIT to prove that either, but I think that's a little bit tougher to uh 
<laughs> tougher to do it. Pac-12 trying to show me that I don't know what I'm talking about, which they're probably right about. So, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it those conferences that are really bad, then all of a sudden well, make the run? The ACC last year, right? Bad conference. Yeah. Two teams in the Final Four. Yeah. That's what's oh, so I frustrating can't wait for the about ACC that Big Ten narrative. This year and then everybody, yeah. But it thing. speaks to your offense. It speaks to your the athleticism instead of the brute, you know, beat everybody up mentality of the Big Ten. The Big East with Villanova plays a certain style, and 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 then you got some offense in the ACC. Um, but we'll see. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Hi, this is A.J. Moyer. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Galen Clavio and AJ, nothing's ever going to beat that upset over Duke in the Sweet 16, but maybe another upset in the Sweet 16 over a guy named Calvin Sampson might get a little bit close and make a lot of us uh, uh, really happy, uh, but uh, time will tell. Our main segment tonight is brought to you by our new sponsor at True Blood Real Estate. Jim Trueblood is a longtime friend of Jared's and the founder and owner of Trueblood Real Estate, where he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell properties since 2006. And starting this season, Trueblood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics, with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. If you're looking to buy or sell estate in Indiana, you need to experience the Trueblood advantage. Go to truebloodre.com to learn more. That's truebloodre.com. And tell them Assembly Call sent you. All right, IU versus Kent State, fellas. Um, we got about three or four just general questions. So much information out there. Uh, some really good pods across the Indiana uh, basketball podcast landscape uh, with a lot of thoughts about the game. Go listen to that. Listen to us. But uh, it's a 4-13. It's a Indiana is favored. They're favored by four. I think the spread's a little short. Uh, I think Indiana is poised to, to do well in this game. Obviously, they have to play well. But what scares us uh, going into this game uh, as, as the favorite uh, in this first-round matchup? Andy. I think for me the, the big thing is uh... – the, the ball pressure and the the veteran guards that Kent State has and and sincere carry leading the way and uh, and also Malik Jacobs and I think as you look at that and you look at some of the statistics if they can force IU into turnovers that's one of the things they do really well defensively uh, in games that IU has struggled this year getting sloppy with the ball being a little too casual has been uh, has been a challenge and so I think that's really the biggest part of it is how you deal with that and also their uh you know ability to potentially get iu in foul trouble backcourt depth uh don't need to tell anybody listening to this is not a uh not a strength of iu at this point iu has been a little handsy at times on defense and and like i said before has gotten into some foul trouble even by big 10 standards uh which are pretty loose quite honestly and uh so i think you know you, you look at that i think if IU can take care of the basketball 
stay out of foul trouble, I think they'll be all right. Um, but those are the things that potentially scare me. And just kind of having a veteran team who is tough and and not really scared of a lot. Um, they will be talking. Uh, I've watched some Kent State games. They they will be talking a lot during the game. And so can you keep your composure in the face of that? And they, they are not afraid uh, of IU. I can guarantee you that. So I think that's, uh, that's one thing based on some of the teams they played, playing Gonzaga tight, playing Houston tight uh, earlier this year. I think they believe that they can compete uh, with anybody and, uh, and have shown that over the course of the year. So I think that's really the big thing. And, um, you know, if I, you can do those couple things well, I think they'll be all right. I think where that manifests itself with me is is how do how does Indiana attack the ball screen defense that Kent State chooses? Uh, I, I watched the first half of the Toledo game before we went on the show. Uh, they do some hard hedging. Uh, they they will switch depending on who's setting the ball screen, but they're aggressive there, and that's where uh, Jalen at times has been loose with the ball, either just with the dribble getting poked away or his his passing. Uh, gets tipped and, and and those things and that's a team that tur- turns the ball over. I think can we get that ball uh, out to the lift and then into Trace Jackson Davis? How are they going to tag on the backside as TJD rolls if TJD is the ball screener? So the ball screen attack and I also uh, the issue for me that is of interest is how are we going to guard their north south game? They like to drive and kick. They like to do some side ball screens. Uh, from the portion of the game that I saw. And, and Indiana's ball screen defense is going to have to be on on par uh, and, and sharp because I think this is a ball screen game. If Indiana can win the ball screen game, I think they're going to have a really good chance of winning, and I expect them to do that. Uh, but those are, those are the, the key things in handling those turnovers uh, in, against that defense and then um, – you know, being being able to guard the bounce is what scares me. But not so much Jalen Hood Shafino, but Trey's got uh, had some trouble at times. And and then do they switch and get matchups um, elsewhere? Uh, we saw that against Penn State caused some problems. Got to guard the bounce, and you got to guard that ball screen. That's what scares me. Uh, Galen, what scares you for for Indiana? A lack of engagement. I mean, I, you guys are right on, on the X's and O's related things. I think those are all excellent points. I think that Kent State provides some interesting matchup issues. I think that they're going to be, um, in, you know, they're going to be trying to make IU's life miserable. I'm not as worried about the turnovers right now. I mean, Penn State tries, you know, was, was trying to get into that as well. IU had one of their best games of the season against Penn right. State in terms of turnover. only turned the ball over five times in that game, but they weren't engaged. Now, part of that, I think, was the short carryover from – having finished their game at, you know, 1130 or whatever it was, Eastern time, and then having to play again at two o'clock the next day. But to me, the biggest challenge that this IU team has faced all season has been, are they mentally and emotionally engaged and ready to go? And can they sustain that for maybe not even 40 full minutes, but 30 or 35 minutes? And when you look at where Indiana's faltered over the course of the last month and a half, really, it's really come from, Trace Jackson Davis has performed. Jalen Huchofino sometimes performs, and then other people don't. And this is a game where you you cannot afford a no-show from Trey Galloway. You cannot afford a no-show from Miller Cop. You cannot afford a mixed bag from Race Thompson, and you can't afford to get nothing out of your bench. Uh, you know, IU's got to come. I think if IU plays their game, if they play to the maximum of their potential, they could beat Kent State by 12 or 13, maybe even more than that. They're that much more talented. But – if they play scared, if they play disengaged, if, if they start to get down on themselves, as we've seen them do, 
that's where I think the problems will start, and that's what I'm most concerned about. But that that's a real good point about uh, the auxiliary players. They, they can't afford to be bad. Uh, you, you, you at least have to have average games from them or games where they don't hurt Indiana by not taking shots or by taking bad shots or by not guarding correctly. Uh, because, uh, yes, we have two outstanding players, but sometimes that can be taken away in, in possessions or things. So bench play, that that's a really, really outstanding point about you need your bench players to be at their level or better in order to make a deep run to win any game in, in the tournament. And everyone, welcome. Jared Morris uh, has joined us here on the show. Jared, how are you doing this uh, tournament eve? Man, I am doing great for so many reasons. Number one, it is tournament eve. And I mean, that means that we're on the cusp of one of the best sports weekends of the year. Uh, and I got to admit, man, I'm flying pretty high. I got to join Christian Watford and Derek Elson on Ball from Assembly Hall uh, today, which, you know, made me, it was really cool because, you know, we started our show in 2011. Obviously, the like ninth or 10th show was the watch shot. And so, you know, we were spent a lot of time talking about Christian, talking about Derek. And so, to be able to go on the show with them was a uh, that was a really cool experience. So I'm uh, I'm feeling good, man. Feeling good. So even despite all of that uh, jovial, you know, the happiness, what scares you about Indiana's game uh, at 9:40 uh, on Friday night? I mean, I think there's several things that Kent State does that have presented challenges to Indiana at different points this year. You know, the pressure defense and kind of their tenacity and some of those things. Um, as Galen said, if Indiana's not ready, that can really hurt Indiana. Um, and so, you know, when I first started digging into this matchup, I wouldn't say I was pessimistic, but I was much more concerned. But with more time and thinking more about us and what we do, I'm less concerned. You know, we're going to be on five-plus days rest. Uh, when we've had three or more days of rest since Big Ten season started, we've been awesome. I mean, all of our best performances have come – with three or more days of rest and the performances that we all kind of look at and we're like, what was that team? Most of those have come on two days rest. Now, what will that mean in the round of 32? I have no idea. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to ignore those statistics <laughs> once we win. But for this game, that makes me feel much better. Plus, you know, their guards are good. Their guards are going to pressure the ball. Our guards are also 6'6 and 6'4. Their guards are 6'1. I think the height can help make passes that can help get you out of some of that pressure. Um, and at the end of the day, they don't have anybody who can hang with Trace. And so to me, in a worst case scenario, you know, their offense, I don't think is explosive enough to take advantage of us the way some others have. So I can see them getting a lead, but I think it'll be very hard for them to run away with it. And to me, in a worst case scenario, the last 10 minutes, Trace has to just take the game over. And I feel pretty good that he could do that, just like Drew Timmy did for Gonzaga. Um, so I'm, I respect our opponent. If we don't come to play, they can beat us. But the more that I've looked into it, the more confident um, I've become. So let's flip the coin a little bit. What should Kent State be worried about uh, as they play uh, Indiana? Um, Andy? The best player thoughts? in America. <laughs> Jared, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought your name was Jared, not Ryan. <laughs> Someone has to play that role. <laughs> Ryan is just relishing how bad Nevada's defense is right now. I can tell you that. Um their press break isn't much better. Uh, I mean, to me, I think it's it's Trace. I, I I don't think there's a clear matchup. They don't have a ton of size. If IU is able to get past the ball pressure and get him the ball or get it to him in pick and roll scenarios, I, I don't know that there's a clear answer for that. Now, it's possible that they, like a number of other Big Ten teams, just 
collapse on him and dare somebody else to make shots. But he's proven adept enough to be able to pass out of that. Uh, I think he'll be ready for it. And so I think that if you're looking for a reason, uh, is that, and I think what Jared said is, is true as well. I'm sure this will be met with them hitting, you know, 17 threes, but it, they don't seem like they play the type of offense that is, you know, IU has a type that gives them problems. They don't appear to be it. Um, doesn't mean they can't play that way in stretches. Doesn't mean they might not try some different things, but it seems like their DNA is not the DNA of the kinds of teams that really give IU trouble. I, I think Trace, Trace is just a, a load, and they're going to have to send multiple people. And, and then that combine that with what Galen said about, you know, the, the bench players, the, the Miller Cops, the Tamar Bates, they're going to have to hit some shots and make some plays and make them pay for any way they try to take away. But that's going to be hard for them, I think, to guard uh, Trace Jackson Davis. And, and I would imagine if – you know, we I talked about the ball screen uh, issue when that, with them hedging. I'd imagine we're going to go into that low post action a lot early to see what they're doing, and then go to the ball screen stuff maybe a little bit later. We'll see, but they have to they have to send people. I, they don't have anyone who can go one on one. They have to just be you know putting everything in their scouting report to to stopping trace, and then the other things that we have need to flow and, and hit off of that. Galen, your thoughts about, you know, Kent State, what, what are they sitting there thinking right now? I'll take a different variation on the same theme, which is I think that they have to worry about Trace passing out of the post because you're right. They're going to have to run players at him. I think that's the scout on them right now. And you can do that if you're a Michigan where you've got a 7-1 guy. And if you're, you know, if, you, if you've got uber-athletic forwards that can collapse effectively, I don't think Kent State's got that. They haven't played a player like this in a while. And where Trace, I think, improved the most and became truly an All-American, you know, first-teamer down the stretch this season was when he started looking out when he got the ball and was trying to spot people. And it's why he's gotten so frustrated when he's triggered really good passes and it hasn't resulted in shots. And, and I think that you know, that's going to be a real challenge for Kent State because I don't think that they're going to have their brains wrapped around exactly how to do that. I think you're, you you made a good point where it's like, first IU's got to get into the half court because IU would really like to set things up and, and get the ball in position where Trace can do what he does. I think it, once Indiana figures out that rhythm and how to do that, that's going to be a real problem. Uh, the, the one other thing I'll also note is that IU, I think, I think, wants to play faster than they were able to play in the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten teams really, outside of Iowa, tried to slow Indiana down, and Indiana managed to play that way. They had to sacrifice a lot of things. They had to sacrifice offensive rebounding. They had to sacrifice some other things, largely due to pace. And to watch Indiana play against a team that isn't thinking that way or maybe doesn't have the capability of slowing them down, I think that Indiana's potential pace in this one could be a real problem. Galen, you bring up something that I've been harping on for a couple of years is uh, modern basketball's pace. It goes back to your NCAA tournament narrative about the Big Ten. It goes about what wins in, in the tournament. You got to play with a little bit of pace, and that's fast break and transition, but it's also in the half court. Are you cutting hard? Are you getting into your execution of your sets quick uh, in the shot clock and not waiting to the, to the very end of the shot clock? You know, throw that ball in the trace and then have him go right away. If the double team comes, bam, move that ball around. But Indiana, play, when they play with the pace, they score. You saw that when they got desperate in the, in the Penn State game. 
and they don't even shoot threes and they can still score because of the pace of play. And then they hit their big shots when they're getting stops. So it goes back again. I will tie this into you get stops, you can run out. And I think they're going to have a hard time finding Trace Jackson Davis in, in transition. And I think our shooters get more free in transition as well. I think, uh, again, those combinations of things Kent State has to be has to be worried about. Um, your thoughts? Coach, I, there, yep. there's just a couple, couple other things I wanted to add. One is a, you know, a thing to potentially be concerned about, which is you know, both of Kent State's guards, again, they're small, but they're quick, they're good at getting into the lane, and they draw fouls. I think what would concern me is if Jalen gets into early foul trouble because he is our, you know, our best ball handler. If they're going to be playing that kind of pressure defense on Trey and Tamar, we could have problems. I mean, just think back to the Michigan State game. And that's where, if that happens, I could see a scenario where Kent State goes on a run like Michigan State did. So I don't think that you have Jalen play defense scared, you know, but I think you have Jalen play defense smart, where his he, he needs to be on the court because we don't have a good ball handler behind him. Um, and so he's got to be smart and not pick up fouls. You know, if you have to give a guy a shot or give up a guy a drive because he beat you, let him go. Um, his value is too important. The other thing is, you know, turnovers are a big storyline, right? Because they force a ton of turnovers. And one of the things I did when I went and looked through all the data on our rest, one of my hypotheses was, well, when we're rested, we probably turn the ball over less. That actually wasn't the case. In those two data sets, our turnovers, it was about 11.5 and 11.8 per game. It was almost exactly the same. And one of our best performances of the year was at Illinois, where we turned the ball over 18 times. And so the thing is, even if the other defense does force turnovers, if we're able to play fast and get out in transition, and if they don't have an answer for Trace, we can still succeed in a game like that. Now, I don't think that'll happen without Jalen, because then the turnovers could really pile up. But... I'd say that just to say, even if we do turn it over a little bit more than we want, that's not necessarily a harbinger of doom because we've succeeded in games like that before. And we haven't turned, as Galen, you said, we haven't been turning the ball over uh, lately right. in, well, in in even scary numbers. Um, it's so. weird. I mean, there's two different types of turnovers with this IU team. There's There's the wasteful ones on fast breaks, but generally when they've been making those, they've won the game because they've been out, they've been pushing, they've been – uh, you know, scoring on more than they've turned it over, and that's helped. And then there's the careless turnovers where they throw bad passes or they, you know, they, they're they not looking at what they're doing on offense. And I think I'll take a few of the transition turnovers. I was really pleased they didn't have any of those in the Penn State game. The problem was they weren't getting any transition period in that game until the very end. And so you almost have to take the good with the bad with this team a little bit on that front. But uh, to me, yeah, I mean, if they've got to either – take care of the basketball better or rebound offensively. Like they cannot do neither of those things. That's where I really get concerned because they cannot survive solely on their shooting. Cause that has not really been enough to get them through the last like eight or nine games. All right. So let's go around the horn and uh, talk about what we think is going to happen on uh, Friday night. Uh, Andy, we'll start with you and then go to Jared and end with uh, Galen. What's your prediction? Yeah, I think IU wins. I think it's a, uh, a, a bit of a slug slug fest a little bit early on uh, as they feel each other out. But I think IU wins by, I'll say between six and eight. Jared. Yeah, I, I'm anticipating Kent State jumping out to a lead. I think they're just going to have kind of crazy energy. And everybody that we've talked to has told us not only are they not intimidated, they want you to know that they're not intimidated. 
Um, and so I just I expect some real physical play, you know, maybe a couple runs back and forth. And maybe we're down two or three at halftime, something like that. But then I think we really take control in the second half. Um, you know, my gut feeling says we win by about five. Um, but I think maybe we end up getting like a 10 to 12 point lead, maybe at some point there in the second half. Um, but I, I feel like we'll win um, relatively comfortably down the stretch. Galen. Let's see. I think we'll take a, an early lead and then we'll sub trace Jackson Davis out and we'll go behind by like six and then we'll claw back to maybe within two at half and then Kent State will go on a run to start the second half and everybody's going to be freaking out and then IU will gradually chip back in, uh, take a permanent lead with about nine minutes to go and end up winning by six let's say i, I think so it's the maryland be, game basically the maryland game all over again i mean i yeah. think that's how this team wins i, I just you know the yeah. the rest has to happen because you got to get trace checks to davis some rest at some point i really do feel like this team i would love and i think i said this before the maryland game i'd love a game where they just got out early led the whole way i'd even take the wyoming game last year you know where it took them about 15 minutes they took a little bit of control at that point and then ended up essentially leading by eight the rest of the way i would take that but i think it's going to be a, a bit of a nip and tuck affair because i think kent state is going to be really emotional i just don't think they're going to be able to hit enough shots at the end of the day and indiana will um indiana wins uh i i think the thing that's made uh me happy is I thought our starts have been better in the Big Ten tournament, like the first segment. Uh, and then, then there seems to be a law in the second and third segment. If we can even that out, uh, I think there's a chance that Indiana leads from start to finish. Um, you know, uh, and if not, maybe at the 15-minute mark, if it's a close game to fill everyone out, then they, they take a lead gradually by the 10-minute mark. Um, Trace Jackson Davis is a stud. Uh, there's no Trace Jackson Davis in their conference. There's no Jalen hood Shafino in their conference. So all this scared shit just needs to go away. We're the better team. Um, and, and and I think, you know, to validate what all, all the coaching staff and the players have said, you better be focused. You better be ready. And if they do, there is no way Kent State can hang. And I'm saying Indiana by 12. I just th I just think it's wow. going to be okay. a, a, a game where everyone's kind of – it's a it's a it's a narrative of fear or a narrative of you got to pick a 13 over a four and everyone drives that i think i'm more worried about the next round and the two-day turnaround as you said some statistics haven't gone indiana's way i'm more concerned about how we get prepared for a second game uh than than, than i am for the first game I, w I will say on that, though, let's also remember that mixed in with that data on some of those games where we had a two-day turnaround, the other team had like four days of rest. Right. And here, all that's going to be equal. So don't let that data – I think that data is much more relevant for the first game than it will be for the second game. So – and maybe that's just my fanboy stuff coming out. Like, I, I don't want a close game. I, I want to have a beer in my hand, some wings, and relaxing – for the last four we or also, five minutes. We also, we haven't lost to it, a but... team. We haven't lost to a team outside the top 50 in Ken Palm all season long. We've only yeah. been beaten by, you know, good teams in the top, you know, 45 or higher, and they're 70-something. So, like, that's the thing. I think we've all done a lot of good work doing scouting reports and stating the case for why we should respect the opponent. But, Galen, as your tweet said earlier today, there's a reason to be afraid or have angst or, you know, some of what we're seeing where it's like, oh, my gosh, how are we even going to compete? No, no, like, we're the favorite. We need to approach it from that sense. But just know that, if, you know, if we come out and lay an egg, Kent State's good enough to, to clip us well, off. And, but, and we're watching the example of that. I mean, uh, 
Nevada was a two point favorite in this game. They're down 51 22 and the first half isn't over yet. Uh, and, and they were, I think Arizona state came in 68th and Ken Palm, they really looked unimpressive and they're just absolutely obliterating a Nevada team that was completely not ready to play. So that's the set. That's why I said what I said. Indiana has to come out like their hair is on fire in this game. And, and I think, you know, I just I want to see everybody like they look at Arkansas or they look at some of these other teams that look like they're, you know, just a flame all the time. And they're like, wow, that would be nice. I would love to see Indiana do that, even for like 10, 15 minutes. Just like, hey, guess what? You should be intimidated by us, not just from the uniforms, but the way we're playing right now. That would mean a lot. And that's honestly like Indiana's had a lot of runs during games like that this season, 10, 12, 14 point runs. That's what they're going to need to do, I think, a couple of times in this game uh, if they're going to have success in it. And, and it could benefit playing late on Friday because if you're watching and there's upsets or there's favorite teams that are not coming out ready to play, then all of a sudden that gets your attention a little bit. If you were the favorite and playing at noon or at 140 or something on Thursday afternoon, that's maybe where you get caught. And, and I don't have stats to back it up, but I always remember there's a lot of games on Thursday. Oh, everyone's fired up on the – the underdogs and the upset and the buzzer beaters, and then all of a sudden Friday seems to be like a, a little bit of a letdown. Well, those veteran teams, those favorite teams, are like, eh, it's not going to happen to us. So I, I do think the engage, you know, being engaged and being ready to go. But um, we've waited too long to be on the on on the bracket, you know, to to go in and lose to Kent State. It's not going to happen. But anyway, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, it's mailbag time. Got a bunch of great questions, and we'll answer all of them. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. That was really just a self pep talk, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all we podcast for. Uh, uh, yes. No it is. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay. Be excited about IU. Talk yourself. Yeah. Be fired up. And then, you know. So, anyway. My God. So, Nevada is just getting absolutely obliterated. Are they really? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's whatever you think it is, it's worse than. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 51 to 22, but I don't feel like it's that close, um, no. to be honest. <laughs> I think Arizona State's got four blocks already in this game. Nevada's playing this wonky or was playing this wonky 1 3 1 that just kept getting shredded. I mean, it's, uh, it's wild. Like, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> wild. Uh, Ryan said, so Galen, of- Galen, do you know if, uh, does Scott have any neighborhood, uh, <laughs> obligations that will keep him from watching the game tomorrow. <laughs> I heard they're having a baby. I'm sure he has a I'm sure he has a name tomorrow. Um there's with a neighbor a- who is an Arizona State or who is a Kent State fan. There's and, a fox uh, hunt happening on Friday at three. He's hoping to get back in time for the game. We'll see if that happens. Um yeah, there's uh I think there's a formal ball uh at, you know at some point in the in the convention center in the neighborhood. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh god that's awesome what are the funniest things 
just a Scott laugh. Soundboard, yes. Yeah, that's it. That is definitely it. Well, oh gosh. All right, we ready to hit so these funny. questions? Right. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna leave here before you start this part. So. All righty, very good. I'll handle uh, this thanks, one, Andy. Andy. I'll, let, I'll let you guys finish it up. Good talking to you. I will. All right, we'll uh, see you. Talk, to you, talk to you late Friday night, man. Yeah, that will be. I need to <laughs> take a nap. Not do a lot of Cup heavy of drinking in the middle of the afternoon. That's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. That's right. We got to pace ourselves on Friday. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, I'll talk to you guys then. Cool. All see right, you, we'll see you, bud. Yeah. All right, here we go. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Welcome back. I'm Brian Tonsoni uh, here with uh, Jared Morris and Galen Clavio. Andy Bottoms had to step out and, and get ready for tomorrow. So there'll be the three of us asking some uh, mailbag questions. Uh, most of our questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com backslash community. So uh, here we go. Um, Chad uh, says, you you just won the championship. What is uh, Galen cooking the team? Uh, what beverage is Sony mixing up? Uh, Brian Tonsoni Sony mixing up. And what dessert uh, did Jared and Andy make in the kitchen together? <laughs> Didn't know we'd be invited to the team celebration. I know. Wow. All the other C- couple things on this. One, there. I'm really glad that I get a partner in making dessert with Andy, so I don't have to do it myself. And I do appreciate the complete dismissal of Ryan's potential to contribute to the post yeah. to the post championship game meal. I mean, <laughs> Ryan's mom is like a, a, like a world yeah. class chef. Yes, like, she can be cooking the meals. Let's be honest with ourselves right. here. Fly her in, and yeah. we'll just help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh all right um yeah you, what are you say, cooking I'm, galen I'm not, I'm not smoking the meat i think these guys have a very very constricted diet and even right. after a championship you got it i mean you got guys getting ready for, for for the combine whatever uh i would i can't answer i got to go talk to cliff marshall uh you know who's, who's up the street from me here and be like okay what am i allowed i'm assuming brisket's out like, am, am I sticking with like turkey and like some kind of vegetable protein? Like, what's the deal? So that it's that's we got it. We'll season it properly, but I'm a little concerned about not ruining some guys' physiques. Like I've ruined my own. Yeah, and same. You know, we can't. But they have just won the championship. You know, it, it, basketball never Jared, you, <laughs> you, you know, you got your peak physical shape. Come on. We got some young guys, so the champagne and the beer couldn't flow. So it, you know, it's, it, it would have to be some water and some. You know, Powerade or something like that. So, all right. Uh, Luke asks, the Hoosiers are being featured as one of the uh, March Madness confidential teams uh, where they go behind the scenes each year during the tournament. Ultimately, this feels exciting for the program players and future recruits. It also feels like a potential distraction. Galen, is it a distraction uh, to be followed around in that way? I mean, the Cuban Center literally follows these guys around everywhere all the right. time. It's it, like the – I think a lot of the cliché attitudes, I guess, or thought processes about what distracts players now are very old-fashioned. And, and that's no offense meant to anybody. I just think a, a lot of people read from the Book of Night in 1988 and then never updated like how – 
everybody's media oriented. Everybody's got their own cameras or they've got cameras on them. Everything is captured all the time. I don't think it's a distraction because honestly, if I'm a player, I'm largely just going out and doing my thing. I'm in practice. I'm in the locker room. I'm in the training table. I'm at Gable's Bagels this morning. Uh, you know, you know, getting some food before we fly to Albany and there's pictures and video everywhere. So I think it's it's great that Indiana's back in the spotlight a little bit. And I think the players love it. The, I mean, the players don't want to be uh, grunts that, you know, are, you know, are nameless, faceless entities that are, you know, just playing for the name on the front of the jersey. I mean, they like the attention. It makes you feel like you're part of something bigger. And so I, I don't think it – I mean, we've seen – Teams that have won national titles get that level of attention. doesn't seem to bother them. I don't see why it would have to bother Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just want to add on to that. I mean, I, I think it's a different media environment, like you said, and guys are used to just cameras being around all the time. And this is what we need to get used to. We need to get used to being in the center of attention. And I think the other thing with it is they've earned the attention. You know, they had a good season. They're a four seed. They're not just interesting, but they're good. And they have players who have worked hard and are compelling, you know, to a national audience. And so I think for all those reasons, like, it's real. It's not like this is, you know, Indiana, boy, but they haven't made the tournament in five years. We're going to follow them around because it gets eyeballs. This is, you know, and there's always some of that with Indiana because Indiana does drive eyeballs. But this team earned this recognition. And so I think for all those reasons, I definitely don't have a problem with it. Don't think it'll be distracting. And it's the kind of thing we need to get used to. You're absolutely right about the Cuban Center and, and my guy, uh, Andrew Brown, who does a lot of work there. Just just love that guy. But they're constantly with cameras every every game and practice and putting stuff together. So I think the players are used to it. Uh, Joel asks, uh, while we all loved watching Trace Jackson Davis for four years, is anyone else looking forward to a new style of play from the Hoosiers in 23-24? Maybe a style not so dependent on tossing it uh, to a big down low. I'll, I'll start with that. One, uh, you can answer that question and not be negative towards Trace Jackson Davis. He's been a, a great, great player for Indiana, and when you have him, you throw the ball down low. Uh, um, you know, the, the disagreement that I've had is that what do you do when that's taken away? What other options are there for other players? I think those are legitimate concerns. But you throw the ball down to Trace Jackson Davis as much as possible. Um, but I will say, yeah, I, I am looking forward to seeing what the, what is in the bag of tricks from Mike Woodson next year um, with a different roster. And, and you know, you got to believe that he's got a, a boatload of plays and sets and ideas about uh, offensive basketball with a variety of players or he wouldn't be in this position. So um, I, I am kind of looking forward to it, but not ready for it yet. I want six more games uh, in a celebratory meal at Galen's house um and so until then uh let's keep throwing it down low yeah check back with us uh the first road game when the offense is struggling and you know we don't know who to go to for the easy bucket check but I think like we're going to spend all offseason inevitably we're going to spend the first part of the offseason putting Trace's career into context and trying to see what happens with the transfer portal and then we'll talk ourselves into whatever roster there is how they will function and it'll be interesting because it's different and I think that is true and there will be a lot of enthusiasm when the season starts and it'll be interesting but it's also going to be a bit of a transition and I have a feeling we may be uh it may take until next year to fully appreciate just how much of a rock Trace was this year but it will be interesting to see a bit of a different style especially if it features more three-point shooting yeah which would be nice this is like the fifth 
best offensive efficiency Indiana's had in terms of national rankings since 2003. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I understand people get frustrated with certain aspects of the offense. There's certainly things that I have criticized about the offense, but it's the 28th best offense in the entirety of college basketball. And you have a player in Trace Jackson Davis that is, you know, averaging about 1.2 points per possession, every possession he uses. And that includes when he turns the ball over. I mean, and when he makes one free throw instead of two. I understand that fans are a little bit put off by the style, but it works. And I think that Mike Woodson would have been doing a disservice to his team and to Trace Jackson Davis if he didn't build the offense around him and try to maximize what he could do. Because I just don't think Indiana's – as effective or as successful this year without now it'll be interesting without that we've certainly seen indiana transition through a bunch of different types of offenses in the past with a bunch of different people leading those offenses and scoring uh and maybe a bunch of jumpers is more aesthetically pleasing but they're not as efficient and i think we're 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 probably going to look back on this era as something that was was unique uh, something that we we won't see again for a long time. This dominant of a post presence, this reliable of a post presence, uh, you know, having the offense spread out more is pro- probably makes everybody feel a little bit better. But I don't know that it's going to be any better as far as actual results are concerned. Also, let's be honest. Right now, if you had to project Indiana's leading scorer next year, who would it be? I guess it'd be Xavier Johnson if he comes back. Maybe. But who would be number two? Um, well, renew. Malik Renew, <laughs> uh, the, the unnamed so, the, the unnamed wing that they're bringing yes. in the transfer portal, I think, is probably you know, and I, it sounds like I'm making a joke, but like Jalen Pickett was that guy I that know. Penn State brought in. I think this is part of the issue. It's like our entire conceptualization of rosters is now wrong because IU's going to go out and find one, maybe two of their top four scorers next year, and we don't even know who they are yet. It's like saying, you're, you're going to have kids with this person that you haven't met yet. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to get your head wrapped around, but that's essentially how it's going to work. Yeah, And, and you know, but, thinking about it, too, that's where Coach Woodson with the NBA and, and constant every year new roster with free agency and that, you know, uh, that could be a strength of his being able to mesh people into a style of play or figuring out a style of play that fits the people that he can bring in. So you're, you're absolutely right. We, we have really no clue uh, what that's going to look like next week or next year. Um, hopefully we know what it looks like next week. Uh, throw the ball into TJD in the Sweet 16, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, a couple of questions here. Both were talking about the up and down nature of Indiana's performance. Um, so I'm going to try to combine those here. Richard Howardstein says, uh, the Jekyll and Heidi goes, what team do you think shows up in the tournament? Uh, and what can we gather uh, from this season at points to which team shows up? And then Laura kind of piggybacked on that. She said she also thinks the team's somewhat Jekyll and Hyde. We've brought it up about the engagement uh, and wondered if uh, motivation for professional bound players affects, you know, we've seen it in football. I guess she's heading towards, you know, people opting out and anything. She Is there a risk of injury weighing heavier than winning the championship? Uh, you know, is there a burning desire to win or a burning desire for the next step at this point of the season? So there's a lot in there in those two questions. But is this Indiana team up and down, and does is there any player motivation with some of the people heading to the draft? Th- those two things. Um, Galen, go ahead. I mean, they're absolutely up and down. <laughs> We've seen a lot of that, especially over the last month. Uh, what's the cause of that? I think it's 
probably just mental fatigue. I mean, it's been a long season. Uh, everybody's had to take on extra weight with with uh, Xavier Johnson being out and with Race Thompson being out for a while. I mean, I understand, but again, I kind of look at the are the draft bound players disengaged. It's kind of like the do the video cameras cause like distraction thing i think that it's actually reversed trace jackson davis like if you watch that guy if you watch the way he interacts with his teammates in the huddle if you listen to his post-game press conference after penn state like this guy absolutely wants to win games and championships wants to leave a mark on this program beyond just the statistics jalen hochefino has played his butt off he has played 40 minutes a game every game that's not a guy going out there and saying i gotta save myself for the draft Honestly, yeah. the, the 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 you know the the problems with this team that have created the Jekyll and Hyde issues is what we said earlier, which is the supporting cast just decides not to show up on some days, uh, you know, and and that is a real problem, and I feel bad for the two the two poles of this team basically, J- Jackson Davis and Hood Chafino, because a lot of times they go out and they're like after about five to 10 minutes, like, all right, well, he's not shooting and he's not rebounding and he's already in foul trouble. I got to do everything. And that ends up putting a lot of pressure on them. It ends up making them overextend and do things that they probably wouldn't do. Uh, You know, sometimes it's beautiful. I'm stealing some of the material from the Crimson cast we recorded earlier today. Sometimes you get the Jalen Huchifino at Purdue game where he's just hitting from all over the place. Sometimes you don't. And you end up with a situation where people are overextending uh, I think the the real issue here with motivation and, and getting into it is more the rest of the players right now. That's ultimately the difference between Indiana going out in the first weekend and Indiana being able to survive and go beyond that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as far as, you know, guys looking toward the pros, I don't think comparing college football to college basketball makes a lot of sense because in college football, you're going to a bowl game and like, you're not competing for a championship. You're just competing for a bowl game. And if it's not, and she didn't, you know, she didn't of, say that. I just kind of threw that in there because she was talking about the risk of injury. Uh, yeah. And are not, they thinking about the personal resume? So I want to make sure right. that uh, Laura knows that I kind of threw that yeah, in there. That I think that's where she was headed. Football, you're playing basketball. Right. You're exactly. Likely right. to so for a career-ending injury. So that, that was my my comparison, not yes. Laura's. But I think she was saying is there a foot uh, a mindset with some of these athletes that direction see i would be i would be more i remember we talked about this when indiana went to the nit with romeo you know romeo didn't end up playing now there is one where you could say okay what is romeo really going to get out of playing in the nit is he going to be motivated but for the ncaa tournament how many guys have we seen their draft stock go up because they had a big ncaa tournament and this is what gives me confidence is jalen has been a big game player he hasn't always shown up at five o'clock for Iowa, you know, or for, you know, some random games in the middle of the week. But when the lights have been bright, he's usually been really good. And there are no brighter lights than March Madness. And he fully understands that he could possibly put himself in the lottery if he goes out and has a series of big games. So I think we'll get and not to mention he's played 40 minutes, two straight games. So if there was any any kind of lack of motivation, you know, you would have seen it. I don't worry about that at all. I think he will be 100% locked in. I think we'll get his best. I just want to touch on something like Galen brings up that I think sometimes Trace and Jalen hood Shafino have that weight on them all the time. That's one area where I'd like to see the coaching staff, you know, go one or two sets for someone else to get them into the flow of the game. We've talked about that incessantly that – 
sometimes I think the emphasis is on those two, and then the others are just, okay, get whatever happens, and you are flipping a coin. Sometimes they're ready, and sometimes they're not. That That's one thing I think the coaching staff could could, could massage a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think the players – I think they want to win. If you play this game, the tournament is what you dream about for a long, long time. I, I think both of those guys want to go and show that – uh, they're not only just good players, but they're part of a winning program. Um, yeah, and if you're worried about that, don't pick Alabama to go far in the oh, tournament. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, absolutely. there's teams all over the country that are that exactly. are dealing with that. So I don't think that's a worry. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Greider says, uh, if this team suffers uh, a loss to Kansas, or Kent State, will this impact your perception of the season? Jared, we'll go, go your direction first. Uh, inevitably, yes. Because, you know, the opportunity cost of losing a first-round NCAA tournament game is getting to go on and play another one. And, you know, it's just a reality of college basketball that what happens in March often colors our perception of the season. And, you know, you almost have to force yourself at times to kind of take a step back, right? You know, you think about the 2013 season. We were all devastated when Indiana lost that game to Syracuse. And really, the whole last month of that season was not great basketball. It wasn't wasn't really a whole lot of fun you know it was just like uh, we've got these huge expectations thank god that ball rolled off at Michigan and we won the Big Ten title as time has passed you know I think history has treated that season more fairly which is this was a really good season it didn't end how we wanted it to there's disappointments we understand why it happened but this was overall a good season I think there'd be some of that you know and to be fair, you wouldn't even have the two wins to get to the Sweet 16, you know, so it'd be a little bit more disappointing. But I think there's a little extra weight on it because we all want it for Trace so bad. And so I think I think it would be – I think the way that I would look at it is less like, you know, anger and frustration and more just kind of disappointment and sadness to a certain extent that, you know, we didn't go farther for Trace. Um, and I think over time that would kind of dissipate and we'd remember, hey, you know, there were injuries. This was a good season. You get a four seed. That's a good year. But, yeah, it's inevitably going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. I would just – and, again, I think they're going to win, but I would just caution everybody, you don't want to let that one 40-minute performance just color everything. But inevitably there there's going to be kind of a grieving period, I think, if that happens. Um, and that is warranted because you put so much on it, you're disappointed, but then hopefully you come around later and realize – Okay, on balance, you know, this was still a successful season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think with the injuries and, and things, and we've been asked this question in previous shows here before the tournament and even before the Big Ten, that the, the season has been successful given the injuries and, and, and where they've been. It's not complete. I w that's the way I would say it. It's not complete. Yeah. You, you win a game or two in the tournament and you kind of complete the season. And it was never really an opportunity to be what Indiana's going to be because of the injuries. Uh, yeah. they, they never really fully had an opportunity to see how that could that could play out. So I don't think the whole season, and I do think time always looks better on, on full seasons after after a while. Uh, we do. Leland brings up, you know. Uh, Wait, I think Galen, Galen wanted to jump in on that one, Coach. Oh, go ahead. I want to just drop this in. We talked about it on Crimson Cast earlier today. This is 2023. Indiana's a four seed. That's a protected seed in the NCAA tournament. This is only the third time Indiana's been a protected seed since 2001. I, I want that to sink in for a minute uh, for everybody, because I think it's important that we realize that we are holding this program and these players right now to a standard that should not be there. This has been a mediocre at best 
college basketball program for the last two decades plus. I mean, you really can go all the way back to, two, you know, what, 1995, when things started to, to, de- to decompose, I guess you could say, uh, for part of the night era. And, you know, the, the question of whether this season would be considered like a failure or, you know, how negatively a loss in the first round would impact, it would hurt, absolutely. But the idea that IU is in the national conversation, is one of the top 15 teams in the country based upon what they did during a season, that has to matter if IU fans are actually serious about being a competitive program again, because they haven't been. This has not been a competitive program. This has not been a program that's performed during the regular season, which means you don't get a chance to perform in the postseason. Being in the position Indiana's in right now, regardless, frankly, in my opinion, of what happens on Friday, this has still been a successful season. It's it's a season we should look back on and say that was a building block that got us to the next thing. A lot of IU fans want to jump from 1993 to the present, And that's not where they're at. And that's not how this stuff works. And I just think that that's important that everybody keep in mind, because unfortunately, uh, I think it puts an undue amount of pressure, not just on the players, but also on us as fans and as people that follow the team. And and so it doesn't give you the chance to enjoy it either. Yeah, It's It's self-defeating as a fan. Absolutely. No, it's it's uh, it's it's among the worst types of fandom you can have where you're just complaining all the time, not realizing that what you're complaining about doesn't actually exist. You know, if you if we would have sat down and had a podcast and said we're going to lose starters throughout the year, one for twenty uh, some plus games, would you take the fifteenth best seed in the NCAA tournament? We like you're you're Everyone off would've. the rails, right? Everyone would have said that's not possible. Maybe making the tournament, maybe being where Maryland is would would be where maybe the expectations would be. Well, we developed two outstanding young men and players that are NBA bound. Uh, so yeah, I, I do see it. Uh, I you know Leland mentioned you know the the losses in, to Cleveland State and to Richmond, and there is a tradition of Indiana losing in the first round that some fans have that horrible memory of. And I think that affects fandom as well. Like we don't you want realize, that feeling again, right? You realize the Richmond loss happened in the Ronald Reagan administration. Uh, right, I mean that. Right. Actually, I well, Leland you know, and I are from that era. Leland right. and I both, you know, <laughs> that's a, you that's young guys. Lot how long ago that was and that was great like to be a three seed and lose to cleveland state to be a four seed lose to richmond and he had a great regular season and you ran into a bus side. the number of teams that lose in the first round of the ncaa that are really good yeah. is it's a long list and it happens every year so i think getting torqued out about that i, I know everybody wants they want glory i get that i want it too but I also think that you get to glory by continuing to put yourself in a position where you can take advantage of the position, not just have it happen. And so if this, this team could make the final four, amazing season. This team could lose in the first round, I think still amazing season because it's such a step forward from where this team's been the last six or seven years. Well said. Well said. Um, yep. We, we've talked about uh, – Patrick, we answered your question, putting aside the upset narratives, what were KSU's uh, weaknesses and what does IU need to do? We talked about that in the main segment. Um, Max asked, do you see Geronimo or Banks getting minutes barring foul trouble? Are we pretty set with the seven-man rotation now, given it's win or go home? I'd be be shocked, honestly. I think think Coach tried to give Jordan Geronimo some minutes these last few games. You know, he wasn't really able to do anything with those minutes. I think Caleb Banks played a role of being an energy guy during the dregs of the Big Ten season when you needed energy. 
but I think this team has a tight seven-man rotation. Uh, and depending on the game, sometimes Malik and Tamar are the better options, and sometimes Race and Trey are the better options. But I think those are the guys, and I think it would take, you know, either a blowout or, yes, foul trouble. But I don't think it's in the primary game plan to play any more than those seven. I'd be really surprised, I guess yeah. I would say. I mean, I, I, Woodson is so matchup focused. I know, Coach, you've seen this throughout the course of the year. Like, he's not going to play big guys against small players. Uh, and, and so I don't think Geronimo would have gotten in regardless. And I just don't think Banks isn't the type of player. I, Woodson to his credit, I think long-term has tried to safeguard the the psychological well-being of his freshmen. And he's only put them into spots where he feels like they're going to get some positive benefit and not in a situation where they could feel like they blew a game or did something bad, which is why I don't think you'll see CJ Gunn in this game. Uh, you know, it, I, if you saw Geronimo, I think it would be because of extreme foul trouble, which seems somewhat unlikely cross our fingers to happen in this one uh so yeah i think the rotation set where it is i agree um kurt asked and we've talked about this too so i think we'll move quickly through this if you were coach what are some of the sets or game plan you you would go to we talked about throwing it inside we talked about then the ball screen stuff we talked about pace and transition so i think we've answered that in in the main segment so let's end with with John's question here, with TJD and uh, Hood Shafino leading the way, IU comes into most games with maybe the two best players on the court. It all comes down to the bench. Who do you have the most confidence in upping their game in tournament to be a consistent threat if we make a run in the NCAA tournament? Galen, you've talked, um, made some really good points about the bench needs to be ready to play and engaged from the start throughout the tournament. Who's that guy that's most likely to be the most consistent off of our top two? Um, I feel like this is a trick. This is, yeah, no, you're not giving me a lot to work with. I mean, it has to be It has to be. There's five Bates. guys, right? It has to be Bates. You're in the tournament. You are short on guards. It's a guards game. And you have to have shooting, and you have to have somebody that can handle the basketball, and you have to have somebody that can defend other guards and, you know, Bates, over the last few games, I've been as critical of Tamar Bates as anybody. Bates has not taken a lot off the table, and he's actually added some things in that time period. He's, his defense has been much better than it was earlier in the year, and his shooting has been more confident. That's absolutely what Indiana has to have. And, I, you know, it's, to me, it's not even like a luxury. It's a requirement if Indiana is going to win one game let alone two or three in the, in the tournament is that Bates has to show up, has to be able to go in spell, you know, uh, either honestly, either cop or Galloway. Cause it seems like Huchifino is just going to play every available minute from this point forward. Uh, but he has to be able to slide into either the two or the three, do what he needs to do defensively and then get some shots off and not be hesitant to do so. That's the thing he does the best on this team right now is just launch it when he gets the ball. Indiana needs more of that and he needs to be able to make them. You, you make a good point uh, about tomorrow and the way the, the question was asked, upping their game. But we, you have a couple other options to go to with Galloway and Cop, who I don't think played extremely well in the Big Ten tournament, uh, up to their capabilities. And, and the comment that I really thought was great earlier was, no one can be below average on the bench if you want to make a run. Like, you've got to play to your abilities and then up, uh, according to Kurt, up your game. So I think there's room for both Galloway and Cop 
to be more aggressive with taking shots, uh, to be better with the ball handling as well. But right there, you talked about the three perimeter players. I think Renew has come in and done a really good job. If he keeps playing the way he's done, he's going to, uh, you know, give give some relief to the top two post players. But yeah, those three perimeter players need to really, really bring something not only to win Friday night, but then to advance to the Sweet 16 and have a chance to advance. Jared. Well, I will add to this. So over the last three games, when Tamar and Malik have played together, and I think they've played 47 minutes together over the last three games, Indiana's net rating as a team is 33. And what that means is over 100 possessions, they were they would outscore their opponents by 33. I think in actuality, they're outscoring the opposition by 16 or 17 points. Point being, Indiana has been much better with Malik and Tamar on the court, and that's matched what we've seen. And so now, will that continue? You know, we don't know. It's a great sign. And a lot of times you do see young players kind of hit their stride. They've been through ups and downs. I'm cautiously confident that it can continue. But it also kind of pulls me back around to another point that I think is important, which is that, you know, Trey Galloway and Race Thompson, when those two guys have played together, in the two games against Purdue, when they were on the court together, they were, it was like a plus 15. They were dynamite. And you can think back to all the plays those guys made. Outs, if you remove those two games in Big Ten play, Indiana's lineups with Trey and Race have a negative net rating. And that's your starting lineup. So that doesn't mean that they've always been bad, and some of that is Race going through ups and downs, and you know, and so there's maybe reasons for that. But I think those guys have to be better. And Race is going to get time. You know, Woody's clearly going to trust him. We're one game removed from Race struggling and Malik playing really well and Malik not playing inexplicably for the last 15, 16 minutes. And so if race is going to get that kind of leeway, he's got to be better. You know, like we need end of Michigan race, not the guy who, you know, at times is making like freshman, sophomore level mental mistakes, it seems. And, you know, I think, you know, everything he's, you know, dealing with, I think there's a lot of stuff there just physically. And sometimes that can drain on you mentally, like all that stuff. So I don't, you know, I don't mean it as a criticism and I don't mean it to say it without empathy that maybe he's, you know, just struggling physically. I think all those things are true, but it's NCAA tournament time, you know, and there's only 200 minutes to go around. And so if he's going to take minutes from a guy as talented and productive right now as Malik, he's by far second best rebounder. Race is going to have to play better. So I think it's not just Tamar and some of those other guys, but you've got to get vintage race Thompson and we've seen it, but it's just been, you know, kind of fewer and further between than I think what we need. So, John, we've talked about everyone in the seven-man rotation needing to up their game other than the top two. So, I don't know that we really answered your question about which one in particular. So, I don't know if that's a good thing or, or, or a bad thing. That's it. We're done. No more questions. All right, Ryan. We're out of here. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thanks to John Ringer of RigDesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Until then, take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. That's defense. Hey, the show's over. Here I come, Coach Tonsoni. By the way, I so hit the I'm wrong sure you... Woody clip. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Ah! <laughs> hey, that's defense. So I'm, I'm sure you guys talked about this already, but 
how incredible are the home field apparel shirts that they released today? It was really nice. Those are awesome. The Grace Burger McKenzie home shirt. That's one of the best, like of the home field designs, like shirts that they've designed. I think that's one of the best ones they've done. I ordered that one in a heartbeat. They just, man, they just Damn keep home field. coming through. I know. <laughs> I know. Seriously. How dare they do their jobs well, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just constantly on my feed. It's just, uh, I'm going to have to mute them every once in a while just to save my bank account for a week or two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should ever do the math on if we are net positive or net negative with Home Field Apparel, given what they've paid us in sponsorships and what we end up spending right back with them. <laughs> Let's just not do that math. <laughs> oh gosh right. i'm so excited for tomorrow best day of the year best two days of the year All the wall hoops, and it's we have awesome. the very last game uh, our house we have two late games a and m's in the last game oh, are we second to last okay yeah. and we have a and m's in the late window tomorrow and iu is in the late window yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah, we've got uh, what is the the very last one is technically Arizona or uh, no? Um, where'd it go? Um, I think it's Penn State. No, that's today. I've lost track. Yeah, Penn State plays A and M. Maybe we are last. I don't know. I thought we were the. I thought we were the. Yeah, no, we are the second to last. It's the uh, TCU. It's, TCU versus whoever wins. Well, TCU Arizona State. I think we can safely say at this point. Yeah, Nevada is not making that trip. Man, what a joke! Jesus. All right, guys. Well, uh, as always, fun. Um, I'm sure we'll talk with you soon. So, all right, Gabe. Thanks. Absolutely. Looking forward to listening to Crimson Cast. Yeah, it's up. So knock yourself out. I'm looking forward to Scott talking us into winning a national championship and then talking us into losing and everything falling apart. <laughs> You'll be surprised at his take. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, so. All right. Have a good one. Guys. Take it good easy. Night. All right. See you guys.